Let's turn our hearts and our attention to the very Word of God and ask Him to illumine and soften our hearts as we approach His Word this morning. Father, we thank You that You have revealed not just knowledge about You, but the knowledge of You. You've not just given us information, You've given us Your will and Your agenda and Your purpose and Your values and Your heart and Your very self. You've withheld nothing from us. And even as you've given us your word, you didn't leave us alone. You gave us the spirit to illumine, to soften, to guide, to counsel us into all the truth. And so, Father, we want to know the truth. And so we ask for your spirit to be poured out amongst us, to be active, challenging, comforting, teaching, counseling in every way that your word would move in our lives and work in our lives to equip us to be your family, your children, the people you call us and want us to be. We pray all of these things, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Savior. Amen. I'd ask you to stand one more time. It's a short reading. See that? We got that going for us. It's a short reading. The word that the teaching is based this morning, the word of the Lord, is John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. My friends, hear the word of the Lord. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So why did Jesus come? What did he come to accomplish? Certainly part of the answer is he did come to save individuals, to reconcile us to God, to bring us into a reconciled relationship with himself. That's absolutely true, and it's glorious. We have to praise God from that, for the security it gives. But he came to give us so much more. He also came to build a family, to create a new family in himself. Listen to these words. You know, one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Ephesians. I love the book, and I'm not preaching on Ephesians this morning, so this won't be too long a rabbit trail, so excuse me for, but I absolutely, and I love Ephesians chapter one. You know, Paul comes out and he introduces himself. Hi, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I didn't make my mind up to do this. God called me, so it's, you know, by the will of him who sent me to the saints. You're located in Ephesus, all that. And then he immediately, like, almost like rocket propulsion, is shot into praise and worship. Because he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with, and you're waiting for him to say a few blessings, nice, he says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you're going, well, that's pretty cool. And then he starts to enumerate us, even as we were chosen in him, when? Oh, before he said, let there be light, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. And then here's the verse I want to camp on for a second, because I want you to pay attention to this. It says, in love he predestined us, and that's not where we're camping. Don't sweat that out, okay? That's not what we're doing this morning. But here's what we are doing. He predestined us for something. It says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, 
couple things I want you to point. It says he predestined us, meaning he chose a destiny for a people, for a group, for a family, and he predestined us for a purpose. And that purpose was not that we would feel elite. Hey, I'm predestined. Not too bad, right? No. Or to be choice or to be superior. He predestined us to be a family. He predestined us to belong to him, to be his sons and daughters, to have a sense of belonging. You know, we look at Christmas, and I don't want to sink Advent too much into Christmas just yet. In a sense, I want to whet your appetite and leave you wanting more. Because Advent is all about anticipation. Both back at Christmas when Jesus was born, the Word became flesh, but also we live between the time looking forward to the time when Jesus is going to come again, as the Creed says, to judge the living and the dead. And I read this quote about Advent, and it says, Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is diminished, listen carefully, Advent shows us that the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. In other words, anticipation, hope, that sense of Jesus is coming again to put everything right. The more we're just kind of on the surface, cheery and fine, it diminishes the hope to the degree we are not willing. We avoid taking that fearless inventory of the darkness. When I look out at the world today, when I look out at the culture, and when we take, if we have the courage, Advent, that's why I read last week this quote, Advent is not for sissies. When we take that fearless inventory, we see that one of the main features of our culture's darkness is loneliness. People long for a sense of family. And not just a nuclear family, because what did Jesus say? He said, who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? He says, whoever does the will of God, the will of my Father from heaven. So in other words, it's not just about mom and dad and your kids. It is about whoever belongs to the family of God. So parents and grandparents and grandchildren and children and the childless and the single, all are part, if they're adopted into the family, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you're adopted and you belong. You have, listen to what the text says, the full rights, not partial rights, not some, the full rights of sons and daughters. It is a glorious hope, the glory of adoption. Do we understand it? Let me go from this text, and I'm going to focus particularly on verses 12 and 13, but look at three things. Look at the reality of belonging to the new family, some of the rights of belonging to the new family, and how to receive adoption, receiving our entrance into the new family. Look with me at verse 12, and it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Classic book on theology. I would recommend this book to you all. So if you want to buy yourself a Christmas present, go out and get it. J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Absolute classic on Reformed theology. I've read this quote before to you. I am not afraid to read it again. I'll probably read it again sometime. I've actually put this in your reflection this morning so that you could take this quote home with you. But listen to J.I. Packer's quote from Knowing God on the topic of adoption. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. 
He says, in the same way you sum up the whole of New Testament religion, if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father, he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, he's giving you the application question, by the way, right now. I love that Dr. Packer is helping me with my sermon. Because here's your, he said, do you want to see that you understand the gospel? Not just say, oh yeah, I got it, information. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God of his, as his father. He says, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his entire outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. He says, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. So let me ask you, how well do you understand Christianity? How well do you, and I don't mean how well do you know it in your head, I mean how well, how well is it a functional reality prompting and governing your worship and your entire outlook on life? Let me give an example. Your self-image governs what you project to others. Now, I'm not promoting psychological self-image or anything like that, but what you do, what you project about yourself out into the world is kind of a function of how you feel about yourself. For most of us, our self-image, to some degree or another, is controlled by our performance. If we view ourselves as successful, looking good, feeling good, we project a confident and positive image to the world. But if we feel mostly shame, weakness, embarrassment, we're going to promote a negative image of ourselves to this world. What Packer is saying in this quote His proposition concerning the biblical doctrine of adoption is that if the reality that we are children of God, that we belong, that we are in, as C.S. Lewis wrote, the inner ring, the inner ring, not just of a circle of friends, not just of a circle of people, we're not in with the cool kids who sit at the cool table, we're in with the inner ring of being accepted, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, in the Beloved being accepted and approved in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Talk about an inner ring. If we know that to the degree that that grasps us and controls, that will control our outlook, our entire outlook on life. If the reality of our adoption does not govern our image of ourselves, then we simply don't experience, we don't functionally get Christianity. He's not saying we're not Christians. He's not saying we're not going to heaven when we die. He's saying on earth, functionally, we don't get, we're not living in this age with the power of the age to come. So friends, do you experience this reality in your lives? See, adoption is meant to be a reality. You're meant to walk with the confidence and the security of knowing you belong. You don't have to question whether you belong. Let's look at a case study. I want you to think about something for a second. Think about the parable of the prodigal son for a minute. Now, I'm not teaching on that. If I did, I I would call it the parable of the prodigal sons because there's really two prodigals in that passage. But let's, let's focus on and do a case study on the younger brother for a second. I want you to think about, we know the story. There was a man, he had two sons, and the younger one came up to him and basically said, Dad, I know you're alive, but I want my stuff now. In other words, I want my inheritance now while you're alive. So it's a kind of a 
pretty lousy way of saying he's wishing his father dead. But kind of seeing the prodigal love of the father, he gives him his stuff. The prodigal then takes it, runs off, kind of squanders it in wild living, kind of wine, women, and song type of, type of lifestyle he lives for a while. And then God loves him, has a way of intercepting his self-destructive behavior. And what does he do? He sends a famine. And it says, when he began to come to his senses, and he returned home. And I would say this, some commentators talk about that that's repentance. I think it's the beginning of repentance. It's still a faulty repentance. Because when he returns home, what does he say to his father? He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's the true part. Okay? Yes, he has. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's true. He isn't worthy. This is where it gets faulty. He says, make me like one of your hired men. See, he's doing what we all do, every one of us. See, it's, we come in and we say, yes, I'm confessing. I don't feel worthy. And so I don't want a father-son relationship with God. I want a boss-employee relationship with God. I will settle for that. That's all I seek. That's all I ask. Let me try to clean up my life. Let me try to do things right. I'm not asking for a whole lot. All I want is give me what you would give an employee, my daily bread. See, we may say in our head, I'm saved by grace. I believe I'm a child of God, but we don't. See, let's ask ourselves some diagnostic questions to know this. How do we respond to criticism or critique in our life? Somebody criticizes you. Do you sit there and immediately, are you thinking, oh, I, I can learn something from this. See, I'm secure in the Lord. I can listen. I can understand their point of view. Or do we immediately jump and basically go, no, it's your fault. How could you feel that way? Are we sensitive to criticism? Why, when we have to ask for somebody's forgiveness, when we've blown it, we need to go to them, and we need to say, I'm sorry, and we need to repent for them, why does that feel like a psychological death? These are all signs of insecurity, of not having the assurance, the experience. Yes, we know in a sense we're saved by grace, but we don't really know we're saved by grace. We know, but we don't know. See, when the prodigal son comes to the father and says, make me like your hired men, do you know what he's doing? He's saying, you're not good enough. You're really not that generous. You'd only be that generous if I earned it. You'd only be that generous if I worked for it, if I deserved it. And he knows he doesn't deserve it. So he settles. But he thinks this is humility, but it's not. It's an insult to his father. And friends, when we act like this, it's an insult to God. Because God says to all those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right. He gave the right to become children of God. See, the love of God is a fact and he's given us his Holy Spirit to come along and help us to experience that fact. To actually experience, to taste the love of God. See, you can actually be adopted, loved, and accepted and not experience every spiritual blessing that's yours in Christ. That's why I like to say over and over, you can have all these possessions. We can have all the possessions of a trillion dollars and live like we're paupers. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, in his commentary on the book of Romans, reminds, of, reminds us of a story of how the Puritan Thomas Goodwin stated the matter. 
He said, picture a father, a man walking along a road, a father with his little boy. They're walking side by side, holding hands, a son with his father, a father with his son. And the little boy knows that the father loves him, knows that he's secure, knows that he's safe. But suddenly, the father stops. And in a moment, he stoops down. He picks up the boy. He lifts him up in his arms. He embraces him. He kisses him. The boy is no more his son then than he was when they were walking side by side. But oh, the difference in the experience. Do you believe that God has given you the Spirit so that you could experience? The Spirit longs to give glory to Christ, basically to show and quicken to our hearts, this is what Jesus did for you. Let me shine the floodlight, the spotlight on Jesus and show you the glory of Christ and what he did for you was to make you a son or daughter of God. Talk about authority and dignity that we have in Christ. Henry Nouwen in his book, Return of the Prodigal Son, describes home as the father's kiss. He says, home is the center of my being where I can hear a voice saying, you are my beloved With you I am well pleased. He says, Jesus Christ has made it clear that the same voice that he heard in the Jordan River can be heard by us. See, think about it. What does it mean to be a Christian? When you're a Christian, it's not just, see, belief and faith is the instrument, is the means by which we become connected to Christ, which is why Paul says we are in Christ, which means everything that's true of Jesus becomes true. It is counted true by God of us. So that means when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and came up out of the water and the Spirit lighted upon him and the heavens were rent asunder and torn asunder and the voice bellowed from heaven and said, you are my son. With you I am well pleased. You're in Christ. Do you know what God the Father is saying about you right now? He is saying, you are my son or daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Do you believe that? Do you feel the smile of the Father upon you? Do you feel the heavens being rent asunder and the voice of God the Father saying about his family, that's my family, I genuinely like them. I look forward to spending time with them. I richly enjoy them. Does your heart know what that feels like? See, what are the rights of being a son or daughter, a child of God, the rights of adoption. See, notice the language of verse 12. He gave the right to become children of God. The first right is the right of assurance. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 4, he says, when the time had fully come, in other words, when the time of history was just ripe, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to give us to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And that says, because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, who calls out, Abba, Father. Now notice, these are both God's actions. You don't make yourself a child of God. You don't decide to be a child of God. God sent his son. God sent the spirit of his son. This is all the action. This is the dedication of God to us. And the Spirit is given to lead us to cry out, Abba, Father. And you know what that word Abba means? See, the word Abba is baby talk. It's the language of children. Think of Jesus and the gospel says, 
you better let the little children come to me. Because unless you come like a little child, you know nothing of the kingdom of heaven. It's a little child that calls out, Abba, Father. See, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that a child doesn't doubt unless you teach the child to doubt, unless the child by its experience that he's learned has been taught to doubt? What does a child do? Child's in his crib, it's hungry, and what does it do? I won't cry, but he basically calls out, feed me now. I don't mean feed me when it's dinner time at six o'clock. I mean now. It's the language of dependence. It's the language of security. It's the language of assurance. The child just assumes that he or she is that important. That the mom and dad exist to meet the needs of the child. Do you realize this text is saying that's the rights we have? That our God, that God has taken the action through Jesus Christ to adopt us into his family and that he has pledged himself to meet our needs. But now this is where we go a little wrong because one of the other rights of sonship we have, see we think, oh, I like this. Jeff is telling me God exists to make me happy and meet my needs. Oh, I'm going to start having fun with this. Wait till Jeff sees all the repentance I'm going to do on this. I'm going to start asking for But hear what true happiness is. See, God is interested in you way more than you're interested in yourself. God loves you way more than you love yourself. Because God wants what is absolutely, absolutely best. And he is committed to giving you what's best. And do you know what's best for you? And this is the second right we have as children of God. It is the right to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And some of you just went, oh. Shows how much we kind of need a healing of perspective, does it not? We thought, wow, I get to be like a little child and say, now, we do. And do you know how God says? He says, yes, I am going to make you like Jesus. Doesn't mean you're going to change water into wine or anything like that, but he's going to do things like he is going to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in you. He's going to make you more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more willing to suffer long, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, more self-controlled. He's going to produce supernatural fruit, the personality of Jesus in you, so you can flourish. That's what's best for you. He's going to do things like Promote and cultivate 1 Corinthians 13 in your life. Talk about a beautiful picture of what Jesus is like, his personality. It says love is patient, but what do we read in 1 John 4? God is love and Jesus is God. So you can very easily, Scripture interpret Scripture, go Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not irritable, resentful, rude. Jesus does not rejoice in what is wrong. He rejoices with the truth. And you're being conformed to Jesus. He is making, he has given you that right. And lastly, how do you get it? Verse 12 says, to all who received him. And he says in verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, this receiving him is not ourselves. It is the gift of God. We are born of God. Someone doesn't decide to be born. How much effort goes on, okay, not on the mother's part, but on the baby's part, goes into being born? I think none. Doesn't the mother do all the work, all the pain, 
All the contractions, all of that belongs to the mother. The child just is born. It's the same with us being born of God. We're born at the cost of Christ. He does the work and we get born. It cost him his life. He came to earth. The word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, tabernacled among us, lived in obscurity, lived in poverty, gave up heaven, the glories of heaven, emptied himself, only to be rewarded with a criminal's death, a death on a cross. He got rewarded by being cast out of the inner ring so that we could be brought in. He got rewarded with being marginalized and rejected and denied and betrayed so that we could always be secure and have a place in the family. Friends, do you have that sense that you belong? Is Spruce Creek a place where because we belong to Jesus Christ and we belong and we're safe, we are offering that sense of belonging to other people? And Evie and I know we're part of this family, and we appreciate you all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. We ask, Father, that you would melt our hearts, that we would live more and more the reality of our adoption, adoption, that we would come to recognize, maybe see our own defensiveness, our own sensitivity to criticism, our own unwillingness to listen. We'd see some of those things as not believing our adoption, not really trusting and embracing. Help us to gaze at Jesus Christ. Think of the writer to the Hebrews who said, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the pioneer of our faith, who for the joy set before us endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Father, I thank you for the family of God. I thank you that in love you predestined us, a family, and we're just part of the global family of God, a family made up of every tribe and tongue and language and nation. What a big salvation. Forgive us for our continual reduction and reducing of the gospel. Help us to see the glory and the bigness of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.